Welcome to Season 4 of Writers' Festival Radio, broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival, Canada's Festival of Ideas since 1997. Thank you for supporting authors and booksellers and each other. On today's podcast, we bring you a conversation between CHUO's Susan Johnston and Katie Tallow, an award-winning screenwriter and director whose latest, Poison Lilies, is the follow-up to her international bestseller, Dark August. This time out, Gus Monet becomes dangerously entangled with a powerful family whose wealth and success are built on dark and deadly secrets. The Muchmores have been hiding a treacherous secret for decades, one they are willing to sacrifice anything and anyone to keep buried. Little do they know, that's just the kind of secret Gus can't resist. We'll begin with a taste of the prose, followed by their conversation. This is a passage uh, at the very beginning of the book. There's a prologue, and I'm going to read a little bit of the end of the prologue. Uh, my main character has found herself in a bit of a conundrum, and um, this is sort of the setup to the to the present day. She touches her knuckles gently. Dried blood is crusted over swollen cuts. Then she remembers, pounding, sobbing, screaming, raging for hours at the door. The bloody door that would not budge, the bloody door with no handle on the inside, the solid door, the locked door. At some point she gave up, exhausted. She sat still and listened for anything, but the silence was almost worse than the screaming. The whole world seemed to have packed up and left. No voices echoed from hallways, no footsteps tapped across hardwood floors, no car horns beeped from Bank Street. No trees rustled in the park, no birds, no dogs, no children laughing. But wait, there it is again. Did you hear that stomach? Gus hears the faintest sound. She holds her breath, presses her ear close to the wall. Yes, there, a dull plunking in a tempo of threes. Drip, 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 drip. Water in a rusty pipe, mocking her desert throat. She exhales. Then unexpectedly something happens. Water seeps from beneath her and it's not a trickle, more like a confident gush. It startles her, soaks through her leggings in seconds. Gus sits motionless as warm liquid circles her and reality dawns in the deep darkness. She braces for what she knows is next. Gus takes another shuddering breath and places both hands on her swollen belly. The baby is coming. Drum roll. Wow. And welcome, <laughs> Katie Tallow. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk with us about Poison Lilies. And wow, what a start. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, she's uh, she's going into labor and she's trapped in a basement. Spooky and just, yeah, okay. I, like, I'm on the, I've read the book and I'm back on the edge of my seat, remembering when I, I first started taking this in. And I don't know, I have so many questions for you. And I'm like, we could start in one of 10 different ways, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm curious to start. Um, I would love to understand the, the roots of the book and how, how it came to you. Well, 
you know, this this scene is sort of a setup for um, the layers that are in the book. She, this is her present moment. She's in this place of peril. And because she's in pain, she tries to escape it by going back into the past. And most of the book is what's happened prior to this, what has led to her being here. And it's her way of figuring out okay, who did this to me, but also of escaping the pain um, of being in labor. Um, something I remember quite well. <laughs> and sure. um, I, also, I also have my, I suffer from migraines. And so escaping your pain is something that's really uh, something I'm, I'm well practiced at, let's say. But, but that doesn't really answer your question. The, the, the idea for the entire novel was sort of um, twofold. It is a sequel to Dark August, which, was, um, which featured the same characters, Gus and Levi, her dog. And in that first book, which was my debut, um, my publishing debut, that book um, was almost like her backstory. After I'd written it, I realized, well, this is where she comes from. This is the roots of her. That's It's a story where she investigates her mother's death and it's kind of flashbacks to her childhood and felt very much like her backstory. And I, I when in deciding to write another book, I missed her and I missed Levi and I missed these characters and thought, well, I can do more with them. And she also, because it felt like her backstory, I felt like there was more to tell. She, I wanted to give her a chance to come into her own as an amateur sleuth. And then I came across, my, my ideas usually come from some uh, article or some image or something. And I read this article about an apartment in Paris that had been abandoned by the owner in the 1940s. And no one had stepped foot in this apartment for 70 years or something. And it was perfectly preserved. She had just walked out with a suitcase and moved to the south of France. And it was, you know, under the dust, there was there were paintings and books and uh, perfume bottles, you know, and, and a hairbrush. And people uncovered all of this when they finally opened it. It was like a place frozen in time. And it sort of inspired the elderly neighbor and her story and how she's never left her apartment. Um, in my book, Poison Lilies, she hasn't left her apartment in decades. So that was the beginning of it. Maybe this is the moment where I start to, to ask you about writing Ottawa. Yeah, <laughs> um, because one of the things that got me really excited about this book is some actual places are featured. And it's I've had great fun actually going, having read the book now, going for a walk around the, the neighborhood where <laughs> they are. How did, like, when you thought about situating it, what, how did you go about that? Well, I have to say it never strikes me to set my stories anywhere else. Um, I don't know why, but I think it's because like you, um, I will walk these places. I know these places. I used to live in the Glebe when I went to Carleton University um, in my 20s. And I know the old neighborhood. My mom lived on Regent Street and I lived on Howick at one point and on Third Avenue at one point. And so I know it really well. And I feel like there's, to me, setting is really important in a novel and the sense of place and a, and real places sprinkled in is just fun for me. And I, 
places I know, but I, I think it's more that I feel I can really conjure the atmosphere and conjure the sights and sounds and how the light is in the trees or things like that. The, the sense of um, the flavor of a place, if I know it well. And, and I love to walk. And my, the dog in the novel is, is um, inspired by my, my real dog. And we used to go traipsing around, <laughs> traipsing around my golden, yeah, um, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, but he's, he's living on in these novels because it is his personality. But, um, but we used to walk, um, Dark August is set around where I live, um, near Island Park and West and Wellington, West Wellington. And so if I was stuck in a plot moment or needed some more inspiration, I would just go walking. And that always sort of helped unfold things for me plot wise, but also, gave me images and you know I've just sprinkled favorite places and we have a, a beautiful city rich with with sites and and history and so it's not difficult to you know throw in Aberdeen Pavilion and the Arboretum which I love which is where I get a lot of my my work done in my head <laughs> as I walk that park that's amazing like I I my I hope I'm not spoiling too much here, but when I think about Ambassador Court um, as the setting, I have to admit, like after I read the book, I went and walked and walked around and was trying to figure out in my mind, okay, whose apartment would that have been and whose apartment was on which floor and faced which way and where in the park uh, did different things happen. I think my dog has never felt that indulged in terms of extra amounts of time in the park while I was <laughs> trying to scope it out. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because the ambassador court um, has always been a building I've walked past and seen and loved, love that it hung on the edge of a, almost like a cliff by the park, you know, and, um, but I, I have fictionalized it all, you know, because I, I haven't ever stepped foot inside the building. And I've seen pictures of apartments that might have been for sale or rent um, and perused those. I've looked at articles about some of the history of the building and where I've got some nice tidbits actually is in comments where somebody who had knew someone long ago who lived in the building mentioned something about the dumbwaiters and uh, the milk doors by the, the old milk doors and, and things like that that I wouldn't have known about. Um, but I have rearranged things. There is probably no sub-basement and there is no pond in Patterson Creek Park. In fact, it's called Central Park, I believe, the park right yes. beside Patterson yes. Creek Park. But I call the whole thing Patterson Creek Park because it suits my mystery. And, you know, the, the bay windows, looking at the bay windows at the icy pond below really worked for my characters and my story. Yeah. And... It really isn't the ambassador court in the end. It's my own imaginings of what it could be. And amazing to take the the sense of place into that kind of erythral thinking. So yeah, and I now like I look at I've spent lots of time living in heritage buildings, and now I'm I'm curious about how many of them have mysterious sub basements, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So <laughs> thank you for sending me on that trip. Something I really also appreciated about Poison Lilies was the, the layer upon layer of surprises. Um, and I'm curious about how you approach the craft of writing your work. Um, you've got so many beautiful layers in the, 
the book. Um, how did you go about making your decisions and shaping the book? Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, it is a bit of an agonizing process at times, but I am a big planner. And because I have a background in writing screenplays, uh, I tend to envision things as scenes in terms of acts, three act turning points, the catalyst, the climax, you know, there's all these different uh, structures and, and there's a sort of format to screenplay writing that I've, that I have sort of embedded onto novel writing. And I tend to be very um, tactile. I need to see my novel because I had written screenplays, which are quite a bit shorter than novels. And the first novel I wrote was just, it's such a long document that to hold it in your head and hold it in your mind, especially when in my preferences to have complicated layers and surprises and um, unexpected things near the end. So I, I have to plan. But so I use paper, I use cue cards, I use color cue cards, because I'm a bit of a teacher at heart, I think. <laughs> um, so I use color cue cards on a bulletin board, and I move them around, and I add plot points, and then I flesh out my story very much um, by pacing around my office. Um, and, and I have the ideas, I know where I want it to begin and end, possibly. And I need to flesh it out. And I flesh it out on these cards, which basically represent a chapter each sort of thing, roughly. Um, and then I have that visual. I can look up at that board and see how the novel is not only plays out, but how balanced it is. Is there too much detail off the top? Is it dragging here? Is it? I can see the rhythm of it a little bit. And if I have a lot of characters, which I tend to do, I can see where they pop up and, oh, we haven't seen them in a long time because they're the ones on the green cards, <laughs> you know, um, and subplots and how they factor in. And so once I flesh that all out for a little while, a few weeks, then I start to dive into the writing and things often take a turn. They don't always follow that plan because... Okay. As you flesh out your characters and as you dive into a scene, it may be that there is, for example, um, in Poison Lilies, there's a confrontation in a fancy bathroom at the Governor General's residence. Right. And that confrontation went completely differently when May walked in the room. She decided what she was going to do for me and took over that scene. And it's much more uh, aggressive than I had planned on my little cue card. Um, but it was her character and how I had built her to that point and what was bubbling over for her that led her to do what she did. She and, yeah, wanted to put ahead. her anger somewhere. Yes. Yeah. And her frustration. And, uh, and so Things like that, I think, are important for me anyway. I like to have a plan, but I also like to let the story, the characters, whatever's happening, go with the flow. And if that means I've undone a thread, I can go back to my main board and sort of see where that thread is and pull it out. Or, But it helps me when I have a larger document. Once I've, you know, dove deeply into the writing and I've got several hundred pages, then I can look at the board and say, oh, okay, back in chapter, that's where I have to go back. And it's easier to find my way, navigate. It's like a map then. 
to navigate my way through it. Um, but I probably overcomplicate my plots to a crazy degree, but I just, there's something so fun with playing with story and I can't help myself. <laughs> it's very clear you're enjoying yourself uh, through, the, through the writing process. Now you talked about the incident in the governor general's bathroom, but I'm curious, <laughs> are there other turning points you'd be open to talking to us about kinds of decisions that you had to take? Well, I can say that, you know, the big question through the novel is who locked her in the basement? Mm -hmm. we already know she, I'm not giving anything away because we already know she's locked down there. Um, and that actually, who, who ended up doing that changed. Um, I had another idea when I planned the novel and something else emerged and another character emerged and another um, motivation. and. So what's great about that, though, I find is, is I can't really reveal what that is because that would give away too much, but um, I feel like that deepens the story for me because then I, things have shifted and the focus has gone to this person, but I've already set up somebody else. So then there's red herrings in there and those are fun to massage and work with too. Um, so yeah, I, I think Character-wise, um, some of them evolved as I wrote, but yeah, and Gus herself, you know, I think her becoming a mother is is really a, an important evolution for her, and she's a very she's very much a, a character that is alone and likes to be alone and is very self-reliant, and she starts to build a family around herself, a found family which is kind of fun too. And I do think it's, you know, despite the passage I read, <laughs> I there is darkness and there is drama and there's eeriness and there's a creepy building and there's, there's murder, but um, there's also humor. And, you know, that chase scene through the Rose Garden in Belleville cracks me up. <laughs> really beautiful. You're listening to Writers' Festival Radio. As always, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books on Elgin Street, and wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great books. If you enjoy the podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation. We can't do this without your support. And now, back to the conversation. And I think I come back to, so you're a screenwriter as well. And I think with a beautifully uh, developed sense of helping us visualize things. Um, but for you, where do you see the, the two disciplines interplaying in how you work? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's the visual. And for me, when I was writing screenplays, you're writing a document that is supposed to help the director see what you see. And so you're never, um, you're never telling it, you're showing it. And you're using dialogue and description and setting and, and trying to get them to even visualize the light and the sounds. And I try and I think um, that's just carried through to my novels. Um, at least it does in my head. Um, you know, when I'm writing, I, I really, it feels like a scene to me. I'm, it's playing out. 
I'm often saying the dialogue out loud using different voices. <laughs> I think my family thinks I'm a little nutty, but, um, you know, when I'm writing, but, uh, you know, it's it, definitely the two come together, I think, in a nice way. And screenplay writing is, um, you know, it gave me that sense of the visual, but also the storytelling rhythm and and the flow between acts and how to shift and shape a story so that you think you're headed one direction and then everything changes for the characters and that just catapults it forward and momentum is really important and screenplays you know teach you how to play with momentum to build to that conclusion that you know is i think the most fun to write is the the endings the beginnings not so much how did you know when you were ready to share the work with the world? Mm, good question. Um, I work on it. Uh, I usually do a few drafts, probably five or so, um, and then show it to some readers who aren't really in the book business, but I have um, somebody who has looked at my novels from the beginning. Uh, his name is uh, Steve Perolini and he's called, he calls himself the novel doctor. And he is an editor um, friend that I found online and he gives me great feedback, um, big picture stuff. He doesn't know me well, which is really great because I don't feel like it's personal. It's just, you know, he gives me the raw goods and he's a great story crafter and knows, you know, what to, <clears throat> excuse me, what to remove, what to, he has just got great broad suggestions. And he usually gives me um, not so much a red line edit, which is kind of every page. He gives me about three or four pages that just give me an overview of what he thinks is working, where he thinks it could be strengthened. Then I show it to a couple of friends. And my daughter is one of the first readers who always reads my novels because I honestly write them for her. And the first novel, Dark August, I wrote not knowing if I would get it published, but I knew that in the end she would love it and she would relate to it. So I was really writing a character she would resonate with. And um, and so she is always, and she loves mysteries and thrillers and, you know, eats them up. So she loves that I write this genre and um, and loves my character, Gus. And uh, yeah, she's she's one of my readers. So I, I show it to a few readers, get notes, see what works, what doesn't, do a, another draft or two, and then show my lovely agent and his team. And they give me notes before we show it to a publisher. Nice, nice. Yeah. Like, it all sounds also really generous of you. Um, well, I, I'm asking a lot. I'm asking someone to read an entire novel and, you know, give me some notes. That's a, that's a big deal. You know, if you want to do it, Susan, next time, I'm, if you think it's a great idea. Oh, I probably would put my hand up. Um, I'm thinking as well of the, the fact that you wrote it for your daughter. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she is my one and only, she's just my best friend and um, her and I are, are very close and she I dedicated the first book to her and I dedicated the second one to my husband because I couldn't leave him out. <laughs> and the second one is, is, uh, is sort of, um, you know, Poison Lilies has a bit of romance in it. So, um, but uh, yeah, no, she's, she's my little muse and um, 
my first reader for sure. What's on your wish list now, Katie? And I don't know if it's your wish list or Gus's wish list, um, but given the option, are there things you'd like to tackle? Um, well, I am writing book three. Um, good, good, good. <laughs> I'm writing book three, which takes place actually about a decade later. Oh, oh, um, more than a decade later. And um, so, you know, you could call it science fiction in a way because it's probably set in the 2030s, but that doesn't concern me. <laughs> um, I have set it in a small town, one of my favorite places on the planet, Picton, Ontario, around oh. the Sandbanks Provincial Park, Prince Edward County. I love that area. I know it well. We've been camping there for decades. And so I have, uh, I've taken the story to that region. Gus's daughter is 12, the one that is born in Poison Lilies. And it's another cold case mystery. It's probably the darkest of the three. And I'm in the planning stage. I've, you know, I'm, I'm starting to write it, but, and it's sort of planned out now. Um, but um, I'm well into it and it's quite different. And the voice and perspective are quite different from the first two, even though it is a, I'm calling it a trilogy, a series, I'm not sure yet, but um, I'm really excited about it, but I'm in the middle of it. And so the ideas, as I said before, are shifting and changing and redirecting themselves. So I can't really tell you what it's about <laughs> yet. Yeah, Because <laughs> it's gonna change. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, I'll look forward, um, I hope, to having the opportunity to hear more about that when the time is right. Mm. And on that note, I'll say, oh my goodness, Katie Tallow, thank you so very much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Susan. It's lovely talking to you too. That was Susan Johnston in conversation with Katie Tallow about her latest thriller, Dark August. Thanks to all our patrons, volunteers, and donors. And thanks to the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Ottawa Public Library, Carleton University, and CBC for their ongoing support. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn, original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubé, Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening. Thank you.